in his commentary on this morning's Exodus passage. The German theologian Karl Barth simply refers to it as the incident. For three months, Israel has been traveling through the wilderness. They've been redeemed from slavery, spared from the plagues, ushered through the sea on dry land, no less. Fed with heavenly manna, refreshed with water from the rock, they, in other words, have seen some things. After three months of travel, they have arrived now at Mount Sinai, the holy mountain of their God, and Moses has climbed up to the top to converse with God and find out what will come next. And then, to use Bart's phrase, the incident occurs. After being redeemed from slavery and shepherded through the wilderness these last three months, the Israelites suddenly find themselves apprehensive. They're like children who have not yet developed object permanence. Moses is gone. What will we do? So they go and they find the next best thing to Moses. They get his brother Aaron. And that is when we learn that the Israelites' forgetfulness goes so much deeper. In the moment. In their panic. They don't just go to Aaron and ask him to be their new leader, to replace Moses at the head of their column and lead them the rest of the way to the promised land. No. Instead, they go to him and they ask him to make gods for us. Israel, in this scene, fears that they are in a crisis. They're in the wilderness. They are between things. Behind them was the land of Egypt. Not the best place, certainly, and yet still a place somewhere familiar, somewhere known, but Egypt Egypt was their past. And before them, well, before them was the land of their ancestors, a land that was to be their inheritance. Before them, somewhere out in the distance, across the mountains, through the deserts, before them was a land that flowed with milk and honey and that they have been told has their name on it. That was supposed to be their future. But right now, in the present, they were at one of those mountains. 
surrounded by one of those deserts, and they are afraid. Afraid that they won't make it. Afraid that they've been forgotten. Afraid, perhaps, that they might have actually been abandoned. Come, they say to Aaron, come and make gods for us. And then out of the fires of their fears, the golden calf rises. Compare and contrast that story with the one that emerges in our Philippians text. Of course, we've only read a part of Paul's letter to the Philippians, but if you've ever studied it, then you know that they too found themselves in a bad spot. For one thing, the church is wrestling with infighting. That one we see clearly in the passage that John read for us as Paul appeals for two of the women in the congregation, two of their leaders, to make peace with one another. But for another thing, the letter indicates that this church is also facing some kind of pushback, perhaps even some kind of persecution from their neighbors who are around them. And then alongside those two struggles, there's Paul, who states very clearly in the opening of the letter that he is writing to them from prison, almost certainly in Rome, where he will die. Even in the best of circumstances, most Christians in the first century would not have found themselves in secure, comfortable spots. But these Christians, the community gathered in Philippi, struggling in their life together, Paul languishing in a Roman prison, these Christians have real significant issues that they're facing. So you can see the parallels between Exodus 32 and Philippians 4. Two groups of God's people, each facing their own crises, each in their own ways concerned, perhaps afraid, and each of them having their own reasons for being so. And yet this is where the comparisons stop. And the contrasts begin. Because the tone of each passage is extraordinarily different from the other. In Exodus, at Sinai, God's people are consumed by anxiety so much that they turn to Aaron asking him to conjure idols for them. Symbols of strength. 
Something that would protect them, that would provide for them, give them confidence in the face of their troubles. And Aaron, who absolutely knows better, by the way, Aaron gets caught up in that spirit and obliges. Because fear, as we all know, can become infectious. But contrast all that with Philippians. Philippians, where Paul sits in the dark of his prison cell and dictates this letter to a scribe standing on the other side of the bars. There, the situation is no less dire, and yet the tone is the opposite. Instead of fear, it's encouragement. Instead of panic, it's faith. Stand firm in the Lord, Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. He repeats himself for a bit of emphasis. Don't worry about anything, he tells them. But with thanksgiving, make your, let your requests be made known to God. Isn't Thanksgiving supposed to come after you pray, after a prayer gets answered? Paul says no. Paul says Thanksgiving comes first, even before you ask. And then he adds this, that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What do you think the other prisoners, as they sat in their own cells going through their own personal crises, Missing their own loved ones, nurturing their own resentments, rehearsing again and again the mistakes that they had made that had brought them there. As they listen to Paul recite this, what do you think they thought about all of his talk of peace and joy and thanksgiving? Or for that matter, what do you think might have been going through the minds of the prison guards as they heard this man behind bars, shackled to the wall, sitting in the dark, his chamber pot in the corner, stinking up the place, almost certainly unwashed, and underfed, what do you think they thought as they heard him dictate words of encouragement to his friends while he himself was being subjected to some of the most discouraging circumstances ever devised by humankind? 
do you think they were thinking? A peace which passes all understanding. To be sure. On the first Sunday of February, 1929, Dietrich Bonhoeffer preached his farewell sermon to a congregation that he had been serving in Barcelona, Spain. As a part of his ordination process in the Lutheran Church, he'd spent the last year there as an assistant pastor, basically as an intern, and he was headed back to Berlin in order to begin his postdoctoral studies. Now, the 20s and the 30s in Europe can often get overlooked by folks these days. But the years in Europe that came after the First World War, those were the years in which the seeds of all the tragedies of the Second World War got sown. In 1929, for example, in the Soviet Union, Joseph Stalin was consolidating power by purging his enemies and some of his former allies. In Italy, under the leadership of Mussolini, the ruling fascist party was tightening its grip over Italian society. 29 was the year when they took over the country's education system requiring teachers to take an oath of loyalty, mandating that all school books pass through their censors. Spain itself had been living under a military dictatorship that by this time was beginning to show cracks. And it would very soon fall and that country would descend into civil war. The fall of 29 was when the American stock market crashed and sent the entire global economy into a Great Depression. And in Bonhoeffer's own Germany, that economic crash is what set the stage for the rise of Nazism. Again, fear, as we all know, can be infectious. In his farewell sermon, Bonhoeffer talks about the cries for world peace amidst all of the societal unrest around them. And at the same time, he also calls out the turmoil that is inherent within all of our human hearts. We are torn apart and driven and worn down by our jobs and our personal lives, he said to them. We wrestle with questions that we cannot answer. We fight for things that we cannot attain. We argue with our fate. Do you see He's preaching to a crowd in the midst of an Exodus 32 world surrounded by struggles, beset by uncertainty, fearing the crises that are unfolding all around them. And watching their neighbors in Europe turn to golden calves for security. 
and the text that he has chosen to offer them. His final words to them as pastor is this morning's passage from Philippians 4. My dear friends, he says to them towards the end of his sermon, what greater wish could my heart have for you today when I speak to you for the last time from this pulpit? But that this peace, this peace of God which passes all our understanding might come upon you, might move in with you, might dwell within you. That God might make you people of his own great peace. That you might rest in God in the midst of all the bustle of the things of this world. That this peace might clarify and prepare your souls. So that they themselves may radiate it. May radiate that peace into other outcast souls. So that each brings to the other this divine peace. Friend to friend, spouse to spouse, parent to child. My friends, for both Dietrich Bonhoeffer and for Paul the Apostle, peace was not simply the absence of something bad. The absence of worries or threats or troubles. Because you and I know, as they knew, that such a blissful life does not exist on this earth. But instead of the absence of bad things, this peace is instead the presence of something good. The abiding presence of the love of God. In the midst of life's troubles and worries, the felt presence of God, in the midst of the troubles of the world around us, the known presence of God, this peace, my friends, this peace will not erase those things. But in the face of them, it will say, nevertheless, nevertheless, I will rejoice. Nevertheless, I will give thanks. Nevertheless, I will hold strong. So yes, I do indeed wonder what they thought as they heard Paul's words in this passage. What the prisoners thought. What the prison guards thought. Even what the people of Philippi thought once the letter finally reached its destination. 
peace which passes all understanding. What do you think? Because I'll tell you this. If fear can be infectious, then this can be just as well. Thanks be to God. Amen.